Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eCampus News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in EdTech and higher ed. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. This month's conversation is a classic year-end staple. Predictions for the 2024 year ahead. Is that right, 2024? When it comes to EdTech and higher education over the past several months, the industry continues to evolve and revolutionize the way students learn. You've probably heard the, the phrase high flex one, more than once or twice. The research group UbiMinds just released a report on a number of these trends to watch in the new year, including, surprise, surprise, the growing use of AI, design thinking, and computational thinking in education, creating products that are accessible and can be used by as many people as possible, and how EdTech companies should consider the long-term sustainability impact of their solutions. Now, it takes a brave person to try and divine what's ahead these days. I was able to convince Chris Assel, global education strategist at Smart Technologies, to have a go. As you will hear, she puts together some pretty strong and positive outlooks for campuses in the coming months and years. Let's dig in. Okay, Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I am so happy to be here. I'm excited for the conversation. And you know, it's that time of year as somebody who's written for and edited magazines and other sorts of bits. It's the end of the year, best of the year before, or the predictions for the year to come. And I have to say, you're, you're pretty brave for picking the predictions of the year to come. Looking back on the past year can be, can be easy, but looking forward, especially these days in ed tech, you don't know what you're going to get, right? Uh, yeah, technology is evolving so quickly. And I feel like, you know, our pandemic experience was such a shakeup and we had so much change so quickly that, yeah, now I think we're more open to change. And I think the technology that's developing is pushing us to that change at, at a faster rate than it has historically, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we might as well just like jump right into the weeds here when it comes to predictions and this time last year, if we were having this conversation, would artificial intelligence been at the top of your prediction list? You can say yes. You know, no, I don't think it would have, because I think, you know, the thing that is fascinating about artificial intelligence is, you know, it, it means so many things. It does so many things. And it's one of those where some of us knew a lot about it and some of us knew nothing about it. And so it was really frightening. And so my, you know, I wouldn't have predicted, I would have thought that we would have like, as we often do in education, tried to push it back for a while, like hold that tide back and not go forward. But if you ask me that now, I have a completely different answer. <laughs> well, right. We all do. Right. I mean, this has been <laughs> such an amazing thing and it's almost to a point where I don't want to talk about it, but at the same time, it really is an extraordinary development over the just over the past 12 months. I mean, as we speak, I think ChatGPT was released about exactly a year ago. And you're yeah. right. I mean, you know, we did talk about AI, but it was in a very much of a uh, science fiction sort of way, both good and bad. I mean, I think educators in the past were warned that this was somehow steal their jobs, right? I mean, that, that somehow mm -hmm. that this would remove- Or the students would cheat or there wouldn't be any original work. And, you know, students don't have to learn anymore. Like all of that, like all of the worst case scenarios, like we, you know, human nature, we go there first. And then if you think about it now, I'm like, okay, well, you know, there are some of those, but I think we've come to see that AI is much more of like an enhanced productivity tool in many of those places, as opposed to stealing jobs. 
And then when I think about like how students learn, particularly if we talk like about the context of higher education, like how how that wasn't accessible for so many learners because finances, because of how they learn, because of geographically where they're located, enter AI. And the more it learns and the more data we feed into it, the more powerful it becomes. And it starts to be able to do a couple of really cool things like create unique education pathways and provide information in unique ways to students. So this concept of personalized learning that we've really been talking about for ages and struggling to implement in higher education, now we've got this pretty powerful tool that can do it. And then it also can kind of shrink this feedback loop, right? Like all of us who wrote a college paper, when did you see that paper again, right? Like when did you get that feedback and how did you start to like make those connections in your brain? Like we need to take information connect it to something that's already there and use it a bunch to get that retrieval pathway. And that's how we learn quickly and efficiently. And when you have a really extended feedback loop, it doesn't work. And so it it makes the learning process more complicated and longer. Now with AI, I mean, not all of the feedback, right? We still need teachers. I want to be very clear that like educators, professors, their jobs are not going away. But a tool like AI means I can give you instantaneous feedback as soon as you're done something. And not only that, I can deliver you some resources to help you understand where your misunderstanding was and to correct that. And because AI keeps learning more and more, I can deliver it to you in a way that's meaningful. So now education is a lot more accessible for a lot more people. And it also becomes more efficient for the people who are delivering it. So our educators around the world can use this as a tool to really empower themselves and empower their learners. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the other, uh, phrase of the year uh, in higher ed that, that I keep hearing is the idea of high flex. And I guess that kind of comes out of the um, the COVID, the great COVID beta test of remote learning, especially in higher ed. Now I had, I had three beta testers here in, in my own house in March of 2020, one of whom w- was in college and she came home with her laptop and kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two who were still in high school, that was a mess. I mean, frankly, that was a mess. But her experience, and maybe just by virtue of where she went and maybe being progressive and tech savvy herself, her academics didn't necessarily miss a beat. Now, all the other things in terms of socialization and being a college kid, I mean, those are those are for therapists later. But in terms of the pure academics, it seemed that this shift in her experience was was pretty seamless. As I talk to people more and more now, as we go back to whatever normal is, a lot of those behaviors that were adapted during that time have not gone back. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you see high flex and how that has developed during the pandemic and what do you predict it continuing to evolve? So prediction number one, I don't think it's going away. There's a bunch of factors at play there. And when we think about like accessibility of learning, so... There's so many ways I can unpack this. I'm going to unpack it first by just like time and space. And so for a lot of students who are in college, college is really expensive. It is a challenge for a lot of people to afford. And so that means they're probably working at the same time. And so having this ability to choose when and where and how you interact with learning means that you can make college a reality because you can work at the same time. 
We also have students who legit learn better when they can isolate the learning from all of the social pieces that are happening around it. So some students thrive in that face-to-face -face environment and some students don't. And historically, those students kind of have had to find other pathways because we had a very set approach to higher education. And now looking at like, what does have to be face-to-face? -face? What could be consumed in a different way? Could we do all of this in a remote fashion? Or how do we allow students to customize that to meet their needs? And that's where I think the student voice that was really elevated over the pandemic, right? When like you didn't have a choice in your education, it was still really expensive and you weren't sure about the quality students really started to advocate more for what they wanted. Um, and we saw a decline in enrollments as well. And so now, you know, higher ed institutions are having to respond to that and finding ways to attract and retain students. And that is going to mean how do students want to learn? And by and large, most students don't want education to just happen to them. They want to be involved in it. And if it is something that they're just going to consume, do they really need to be on campus to do it? And so I think the shift we're going to see is what are the more engaged, active learning experiences we're seeing in that kind of campus experience where students are learning from and with each other and not being talked at by a professor? Like, I think that's going to evolve. Our students who learn differently or who are working are going to continue to demand that they have access to these virtual and online courses. And then I think the other piece we're going to see connected to that, connected to the cost of education, and also connected to the fact that our workforce is more dynamic than it's ever been. And that is a reflection of technology as well. Like tech continues to come into the workplace. We interact with it differently. We create all of these new jobs, right? Like search term engineer. We wouldn't have thought of things like that many years ago. And so, I mean, I predict we're going to see more and more of a move towards things like micro-credentialing, where students are able to get the skills that they need to apply to their job at that time. And instead of this four-year experience, we start to look at this kind of lifelong learning that as you grow in your career, you're able to go back and access the things that you need to upskill yourself and to grow in your role. And that becomes obviously much more accessible and affordable because as you go up, the career ladder, you have more opportunity to put money into your education and learning more. And I, it's a big prediction, but I think students are going to start to demand that because no one wants to be saddled with this debt that they're coming out of higher education with. And we hear so many stories about kids who are still living in their parents' basements as they try to figure out, you know, the what next. And that, you know, we heard a lot of that pandemic era and it hasn't really gone away. As technology just makes learning more accessible, makes it easier to break it down into bite-sized pieces, I do think we'll see more of the shift to how do I get what I need and move forward. And I feel like, you know, employers are demanding that. We've heard for years, even pre-pandemic, that, you know, students are coming out of college with the content and skill knowledge that they need, but not always those soft skills. And so employers want more of a full package. And so how does that fit in? And how does being able to be nimble with evolving technology become part of that education process as well? So those are lots, um, yeah. but those are kind of things that that I anticipate shifting. And I do think that this the student voice and student demand or what they want, they're going to get louder and that's not going to be a shift that we move away from. Let's look back more at the uh, the technology end of things. Now, I, I gave you the, the AI and the high flex because those are the easy ones that that were on the top of my list, but uh, maybe you can dig in a little bit deeper on where you see some of the technologies evolving to enable these sort of remote 
setups and micro-credentialing and all the all the other predictions that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a great opportunity to talk about smart for a minute um, because when we think about how students interact with content and how we've delivered content, right? Over the course of history, we are visual learners and language is incredibly important to us and how we're wired and how we consume learning. So we started writing things down on chalkboards so we could see them and then technology got better and we could project things and we could see things live. Students and teachers want to interact with those things. And so how do we start to take the visualizations we've made and make them more interactive. So um, at SMART, one of the things that we are um, really proud of and excited about are tools like SMART Inc., which means our students, our faculty can all collaborate in a document like your standard Microsoft suite, but they can actually interact with it. So not on it, not over it, not like making a circle and talking about something, but start to actually like collaboratively affect change there. And so that could be a great scenario for remote learning. We're all working in the same document and collaborating together, even though we're in however many different places. But even in the lecture hall, like how do we go from just a projection in the front of the room to everybody can like add or contribute or work in that together. So it becomes more of this collaborative learning. And I think technologies like that are really important. And I think they really bring a different experience and a more engaged experience that students are asking for to those college classrooms. Yeah. How important is user behavior to all of this? I guess we can kind of go back to, again, talk about how we all had to shift our behaviors and learn how to have most of our conversations via this platform over the past couple of years. Do you see those things? I mean, what are your predictions when it comes to how students who were forced to learn in those environments will will learn in the future? So I think if we look at any of our younger generation now, like they're very comfortable there. They're very comfortable interacting in digital platforms. They like short, sweet, to the point type communications. And I think there's there will always be a bit of a gap when it comes to education because invariably our educators are generations away from our learners, right? And so their natural form of communication is not necessarily the same. But I think that's okay because I think as we shift in education too, students want to learn from their peers. They want to brainstorm. They want to think together. They can borrow from someone else's prior knowledge in these conversations. And so creating spaces, safe spaces for students to collaborate and work together in this kind of natural text-based, grammar-free, short conversation that really works for them. And then finding ways that that also fits into the workflows of our educators, because there will be a little bit of a gap between those, but technology has gotten to the point that, that we can bridge that. So is it things like, hey, this is what the professor is delivering as content and they're inking in it and we're inking in it. And then we can also like on the side have a, you know, kind of back channel chat stream where we're all talking about it and we're not waiting our turn. We're all contributing and learning from each other. And I think that technology brings those things together beautifully. And that's where we're going to start to see developments of bringing in student voice and also not overwhelming our educators with change at the same time. Well, I'll tell you the uh, one thing that most concerns me is just kind of a, a this continuing kind of sentiment about the, the concern about higher education, but the way that you phrase it is, is is a positive sense, right? I mean, it just seems like it's going to be there. It's just going to be different. 
it's going to have to evolve, right? I mean, the world is evolving and the more technology we develop, the faster the world evolves. And so I think, you know, we have been a very large and slow moving ship in all forms of education for a very long time. Um, I think we're on the cusp of making bigger changes. I mean, we have to, and our consumers are starting to demand it. And for our higher education institutions, like they do need to respond to the needs of students to keep students enrolled in their institutions. So the change is coming. Like I can feel it. We start to see it in small ways, in small places. And I think it's really exciting because I think the the biggest shift that it's going to bring is more accessible education to more of the population and moving into a future where technology can take over or support some roles. It is important that we help all people find what they are really good at and how that fits into their communities so that they can be part of that. And that's always been the role of higher education. It's just that now we're, we're looking at it through a different lens, the lens of technology. Um, and we'll see what we can do. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Well, Chris, I appreciate your time and your insights and your predictions. They were bold and forthright. You're going to be on the record on the internet. We'll come back in, in 12 months and uh, see how see you did. See if I was right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, but, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed being here today. And that's all there is for this month's episode of eCampus News' Innovations in Education. Make sure to subscribe for more episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays and happy new year.